0: And his name is? Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. On April 24th, 1984, was a special day in my life. In it, I fulfilled a boyhood dream of becoming a United States citizen. There, I give God glory. You know, there's so much talk today about being privileged, and some people are privileged. I want you to listen carefully. All of us who live in the United States are privileged people. And don't you forget it. And please don't let them tell you otherwise. Now, for those who think that they are oppressed in America, I'm happy to raise the money for them and give them a one-way ticket to Tehran, Iran. Or Caracas, Venezuela. But I digress. Sorry about that. (laughs) Can't help it. But on that day, I stood in the courtroom of the late Judge Owen Forrester. Little did I know that literally three years later, he'll be a member of this church and a dear friend until the Lord took him home. There in his chambers, I raised my hand and I pledged allegiance to the United States of America. I know that for millions before me, and for millions will come after me who would stand and make the same commitment, that represents freedom. To countless millions around the world who are literally lining up and want to get here legally, to them, America represents freedom. Freedom that some evil forces are working in our culture today, in our society today, and even in some government circles today that are trying to take away from us. But on that day, I did not only receive all the privileges of citizenship, but also the responsibilities. Listen carefully. To live under the authority of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights is a great privilege. I have no right to try to live by some other country's laws. I have no right to say, well, I like this part of the Constitution, and I'm going to obey it, but I don't like this part, and therefore I'm not going to obey it. Why? Because on that day of April 24, 1984… When I became a United States citizen, citizen of this great country, I came under the authority of the United States Constitution. Now I want you to go back with me, my history, my personal history. Go back from that day, 20 years before, 1964, March 4, 1964. I stood also on that day, and I pledged allegiance to the kingdom of God, which by far, by far, by far, and I know you agree with me, more far more critical than any decision that I made in life. By far, it is the most important decision than any earthly citizenship. In 1964, I publicly announced that I publicly renounce my citizenship in the kingdom of Satan and submit myself to the kingdom of God. On that day, I pledge allegiance to the new kingdom and to my new king, I pledge allegiance and I declare that He is my legal authority and that I live under His infallible Word of God. On that day, not only I was invited to be a member of His kingdom, but His kingdom began to live in me. On that day that I said yes to King Jesus. In effect, I was saying, your rule over me is supreme. That I no longer in control of my life, but he is. That I no longer the captain of my ship, he is. That I'm no longer the master of my destiny, he is. That I'm no longer the king of my castle, he is that I'm no longer the sovereign over my affairs, He is. That is the kingdom of God or the rule of God in the lives of His children. And every one of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've done the same thing. The theme of the kingdom of God is the theme that our Lord Jesus Christ constantly, constantly, constantly talked about. In fact… Mark tells us in chapter 1, verse 14, that when He began His ministry, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In every miracle that our Lord Jesus performed, every occasion that He had to teach and to preach, and every demonstration of His supernatural power clearly explained and talked about the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people are confused about the kingdom of God. I I sometimes put a trial balloon on the social media and just see what people think. (laughs) I'm amazed. People say, well, kingdom of God is coming. It's coming. It's not now. It's coming. No, that's half right. The kingdom of God is here and yet to come. It is both and The kingdom of God, the rule of God, is in the heart of His children, is in the heart of the elect of God, in the heart of all the church of Jesus Christ, made of every nation, tribe, and language. That is the rule of God, the kingdom of God. But it will be fulfilled completely, fully with our own eyes. We'll see it when He returns to rule and reign in His kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, now... We're going to see this very clearly in today's message, and so turn, please, to Luke chapter thirteen. We're going to go from verses ten to twenty-one. Now, those of you visiting or you have not followed this, we have been going through a series of messages, enduring wisdom from the lips of Jesus. Jonathan is preaching the same text uh, at the nine o'clock that I'm preaching here to, at ten thirty. And in April, God willing, when I'll be preaching in Dubai and Egypt and the Middle East, He will be preaching both services. I'll pray for Him. <laughs> I found it. Luke 13, 10 to 21. Now, I'm going to ask you, as we have been doing throughout this series of messages, in honor of the Word of God and also so you can read it, Digest it, comprehend it with your own lips. I'm going to read the first verse and you're going to read the rest of it. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching on the synagogue. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of Your precious Holy Spirit, who authored these words, we ask Him to come and move in our hearts, speak to our minds, because Father, without He, without Him, and enlightening and illuminating our minds, these are just words on paper. So we thank You in advance for what You're going to do in our lives because of Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated, please. In the context of this Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God, it was the healing of this woman on the Sabbath day. I told you He took every opportunity, wherever He performed a miracle, supernatural intervention on His part, He always took that as an opportunity to teach about the kingdom of God. So, this is the context in which He was teaching on the kingdom of God, this woman who needed desperately needed healing. And what Jesus is saying to His hearers, and indeed is saying to every one of us who are listening, He is saying that we must enter into the kingdom of God. Now. How? By turning away from false religion and false belief system and yielding to the Holy Spirit. By rejecting the kingdoms of the world and embracing His kingdom, His rule over us by stopping to live by our rules and obeying His. Look with me at the text, please. This dear woman who is bent over in pain, and now you've probably seen people like that. You don't see them much in the United States, but you see them a great deal overseas. They're literally bent over, and they cannot even turn around unless the whole body turns around to see. She was doubled over. That's exhibit A. It was exhibit A of the vital importance of being set free by Jesus, spiritually, set free from the slavery of sin and Satan, into the freedom of the Son of God. Himirat, right, please. Worse than her physical affliction was her social stigma. Because you remember in the last message, we saw how the Pharisees, the, 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 the Jews in the time of Jesus, uh, had a faulty belief system. They believed that every physical infirmment, that every disease, that every sickness, every suffering is a result of sin. And therefore, it is the consequences of their sin. And they presume that all suffering is the… basically bring about the judgment of God. And therefore, a person's physical suffering made them to be an outcast. Because these pompous, arrogant, self-righteous people, when they did not experience suffering, they looked at people and said, ah, ha, 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 ha. They're sinners. I'm not. And that is why Jesus needed to deal with that false belief system. She was an outcast. Listen to me. When everyone gave this woman a wide berth, Jesus welcomed her. While everyone avoided her, Jesus loved her. When everyone would have been embarrassed to be associated with her, Jesus laid his hands on her and healed her. While people rejected her, Jesus broke the evil spirit's hold over her. She became completely and totally healed. But well, simply because all infirmity, all diseases, all sicknesses, all the, 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 the briar and thorn in, in, in the world, and everything that is evil comes from Satan. Everything. But it's not only exclusively for those who've sinned. Ah, then came the rulers of the synagogue. My God, deliver us from the rulers of the synagogues. Look at verse 14. With no gratitude to God and praise to God and thanksgiving to God for his supernatural healing and miracles, they attacked Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. But they were too coward to confront Jesus face to face, so they were talking to the people. Oh, look at him! Look at him! Couldn't he do that all week long? Why does he have to do it in the Sabbath? These synagogue leaders, instead of praising God, glorifying God because of this miracle, they criticized Jesus. These legalistic Pharisees, instead of thanking God for His mercy and thanking God for His grace and thanking God for His goodness, for a desperately needing woman... They became his the word, literal, the word indignant. They were indignant. Oh, they have to do everything in decent on order. Just comes that way. You know, churches like that? Has to be in decent on order. Holy Spirit can't move without being in decent and order. <laughs> They're controlling the Spirit of God. Okay, you know who you are. In other words, they were furious with Jesus for the miracle. Why? He broke, listen carefully, the man made rule. The man made rule. This is not the Word of God. This is not the Old Testament. This is not the commandment. It's it's so incredible when you think about it, because these Jewish leaders— did not deny the miracle. They did not deny it. They actually confirmed the supernatural work of Jesus. But instead of them believing in Jesus, their hearts were hardened. You hypocrites! Verse 15. I'm not saying it. Jesus is. (laughs) In case you you think I'm I'm saying something that you don't like. (laughs) You hypocrites! Why? Because even their own rabbinic interpretation of the commandments. This is not the commandments. It's their own interpretation of the commandments with, in a book called the Mishnah. It's not authoritative Word of God, although so many of them put it as equal to the Word of God. This is dangerous, brethren. Listen to me. <laughs> even their own interpretation of the commandments said that you can take an animal on a Sabbath for feeding and drinking. Even so, the animal can carry the load as long as they themselves don't carry it on the Sabbath. The, the animals can. And here's what Jesus is saying. You see the frustration in our Lord. He's saying, if this is your interpretation about the Sabbath regarding that you can feed them and you can give them a drink on the Sabbath, how much more this Jewish woman, the daughter of the covenant, how much more this daughter of Abraham and her desperate need. What better day to free her from the load of pain and guilt and suffering than the Sabbath? What better day to set her free than the Sabbath? What better day to receive forgiveness and healing and restoration than the Sabbath? What better day to give her eternal rest on the day of rest? This confrontation with the Jewish leaders reveal how heartless legalism is. It's heartless. Uh, how hypocritical, ritualistic Religion is. How unreasonable false religion is. Listen to me. Listen to me. Those people in our culture today, in our society today, who follow the walk religion, make no mistake about it, it is a religion. Walk is a religion. (laughs) If they can get rid of Christianity as they think, and don't… I mean, I'm telling you exactly what they believe… They say if they can get rid of Christianity, they would have a utopia in society. Uh, I have news for them. I have news for them. Now, whether they know it or not, if Christianity is not in our society, this will be hell on earth. Listen to me. Listen to me. The source of all true love, you notice I said true love? not the mishy stuff that they talk about. The source of all true love is Christianity. The source of all true compassion is Christianity. The source of all true wisdom is Christianity. The source of all true blessings for our society is Christianity. And when the church is taken out of here, God have mercy on them. Listen, I, I, I'm telling you, I mean, just all you need to do, and the young people particularly, just start studying history correctly, you'll discover that Christ- Christians started all the healing movement, all the hospital movements, all the orphanage movements, all the, 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 the education movements, all started by Christians. And it was a Bible-believing Christian who for 23 years became alienated from his family, became alienated from his friends and colleagues in Parliament in England. But for 23 years, because of his biblical conviction, he did away with the horror of slave trading, and his name is William Wilberforce. The problem is they don't want to face reality. But even... Bonaparte. Have you heard of Bonaparte? Napoleon, you heard about Napoleonic Complex? Yeah, you heard about it. Okay, I know you, to raise your hand, but that's fine. You, you heard about it. Now, he was not a very modest guy. I mean, he was not a Bible-believing Christian. Okay, so you understand that. But I want to read to you what he said, okay, so that you understand what I'm saying. Um, he said the following. I told you it was very modest. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I myself have founded empires. But upon what do these empires depend? Force. Force. Jesus alone founded his kingdom upon love, and to this millions would die for. End of quote. Now, beloved, this woman's healing is analogous of God's sovereign work of salvation in every one of our lives, and for those whom He's trying to reach with His love of salvation and, the gospel, and, and with the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a metaphor of what Jesus came to do for Israel, because the Bible said he came to his own, but his own received him not. But then to everyone who have received him, he gave them the power to be called the children of God. This is what he came to do. This is an, 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 an analogy. This is a metaphor. In the context here, Jesus basically is trying to tell us that he will bypass all the self-righteous, arrogant people, and he'll become so close to the humble and broken at heart. Those who are burdened by sin and they know it and they want to repent of their sins. He bypasses those who think that they can save themselves and that they have the power to do that, and he reaches to those who confess their helplessness in saving themselves. (laughs) He bypasses all those who think that their freedom is a way to be free from God and from His Word, and He reaches down to a repentant, humble, broken spirit. Immediately after this, Jesus, after healing this woman, look at verse 18 with me, please, Luke 13 immediately goes into the kingdom of God because it's relevant here. What is the kingdom of God like? Indeed, he was asking, what is the future rule of God in the hearts of men and women 2,000 years from now when he was speaking? (laughs) What what, what is the rule of God in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, are going to be like 2,000 years from now in the sense What is the future of the true church of Jesus Christ? Those who will accept Jesus for hope and healing. What will the 21st century church be like? And this is the translation, this is an interpretation of what Jesus is asking. So they answer the question… In order to answer that question, because Jesus asked it, and then he describes them what it's going to be like, we have to take a look back in history. Just literally, don't, 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 I'm not going to bore you with history lesson, but just a couple of minutes, I want to show you, <laughs> because it's very important. You see, many of the Jewish people in the time of Jesus, they thought that he came in order to deliver them from the yoke of Rome, from, this, from servitude to Rome. But when he failed to do so, when he did not do what they wanted him to do, when their expectations were not met, that they, what they wanted, when they discovered that Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, that Jesus' kingdom is an eternal kingdom, they rejected him. They rejected him, except for a handful of disciples. That's the mustard seed. That's the mustard seed. Even after the resurrection, there were 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Literally, when we opened our chapel, this is, wouldn't even fill half of the chapel. 500. And on the day of Pentecost, there were only 120 people there. Think about this with me 120 people. Barely, we can fill in one of our classrooms with that. Very tiny. Very tiny. From a human perspective, it's a very pathetic number. Can I… Can you, will you agree? Yeah, pathetic. There's not much to show for three years plus of ministry of Jesus, His closest followers, His inner circle. Well, there were only twelve. One of them actually was a traitor. Far from being an inspiring movement, a a big crowd in the stadium shouting the praise of Jesus. It's a tiny, 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 tiny beginning. Even that handful of disciples, they did not anticipate the kingdom of God to be a spiritual kingdom. They thought still gonna be an earthly kingdom with power and authority. Splendor. (laughs) They did not comprehend what the kingdom of God is all about. Even the disciples, like all their other countrymen, the disciples expected external kingdom, power trappings of the power of power. (laughs) In fact, you remember the mother of James and John when she came to Jesus said, Hey, my boys are really good boys. They got your back. Put one on the right, one on the left. Huh? He said, they're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? See, they thought splendor, power, authority. They're going to rule. Verse 18, he asks the question, what is the kingdom of God like? Verse 19, he gives us the answer. A mustard seed. A mustard seed. I asked the… The team, just to show you, I want you to look. I have the camera on that screen because I want people watching at home, wherever they may be, to see how tiny, in, re- in relationship to the fingers, the tiny, tiny, tiny seed. He chose that instead of a grain or barley or any other. It's the smallest. The small seed grows into the largest garden plant. The smaller seed grows sometimes up to 15 feet high. But what's really m- more important, that smaller seed grows to give shelter to many birds so they can nest in it. That is the kingdom of God where you and I belong to. Jesus wanted His disciples to understand that His kingdom viewed, viewed from an external and visible perspective is so small, but eventually it will expand to include every language, every tribe, and every nation. This kingdom, not very impressive at all in the beginning, and yet the time is coming when hundreds of millions will follow Jesus, this handful of disciples uh, they were so insignificant And yet, it was said of them, they've turned Rome upside down. The obscure beginning of his kingdom gave way to a global force for God and for good. They're not so distinguished by power and majesty and splendor and public display of glory. It is now global. You would not even imagine back then, that millions of people would be glad to die for Jesus. I met some of them. Every time the persecution heats up in China, the numbers of Christians multiplies. The more persecution in many a country, the more the numbers of the believers multiply. That's why I told you some time ago, I went into a prayer meeting back in, 19, in the 80s, and they were praying for America. This was in the Middle East. They were praying that we would experience persecution, so we would experience a love for God. Like they are. When literally, their life is on the line. This is a prophecy by our Lord here, that the rule in the hearts of men and women will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow grow out of all proportion to its beginning. So much so, that when the Lord returns in glory, the Bible said, He'll return with multitudes, unnumbered numbers. For the Bible said, the kingdom of this world become forever the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever and ever. Beloved, listen to me. In spite of its humble beginning, the kingdom of God will be enlarged to become a mighty force, a mighty force, just as the prophets have prophesied and envisioned. And remember, in the end… God will establish his son as the king of kings and the lord of all lords. It will shatter the nations. His rule will shatter the nation, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. His righteous reign will flourish, and there will be true peace. And I don't know about you, I can't wait. Isaiah predicted in Isaiah 53, his reign was spread abroad. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me, please, Luke 13. And again, Jesus said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. I told you before, I've seen that with my eyes when my mother puts that little Leaven inside the dough, small dough. No, no, next morning, it's way, way overflowing in the jar. Now, while the previous parable that Jesus gives us about the master, must, mustard seed emphasized the external growth of the kingdom, this parable of the leaven emphasized the internal influence of the kingdom of God. The, ex- the internal, and beloved, listen to me, listen to me, listen, listen. This tells me no matter how powerful the influence of evil may appear now, no matter how visible the influence of evil may appear now, no matter how mighty the influence of evil appears now, no matter how daunting the influence of evil appears now, the positive influence of the kingdom of God is much greater. Oh, it might not be apparent, might not be visible, might not be clear to some, it might not grab the headline news. Even it, it may be mocked and scorned, or it may be rejected and attacked, it may be falsely accused and, and named, na- named names, but make no mistake about it, make no mistake about it, it is quietly working its way in the nations. It's quietly working. I, I, one, one government official of of a, a country that remained nameless, he, he told me, and he's not a Christian, that there are at least four to five million in his nation who are secret Christian believers. It's working its way. It's working its way. You might not see it. You might not know about it, unless you heard me tell you about it, but it's, it's there, quietly impacting cultures, quietly transforming lives, quietly converting souls, and quietly bubbling up to the whole dough of the globe and is expanding. My friends, no one can deny, no one can deny, I certainly will not, that the decade of the 2020s has unleashed ferocious attack on biblical truth. Nobody can ask how I wrote my book hope for this present crisis, because I saw this. And being a student of culture and society for the last 45 years, I mean, I could see that. Nobody can deny that the beginning of the decades of the 2020s have ushered the walk culture, the cancel culture, the critical race theory. Oh, but listen to me listen to me, listen to me, all your discouraged believers, listen to me, all your discouraged believers who are watching, listen to me, soon you will see with your eyes the power of the kingdom of God manifested. Soon you will see that same Jesus who is now mocked in the media and by Hollywood will soon reign and rule with an iron scepter. Will you soon see how He's going to appear with power and great glory? You will one day soon, with every eye is going to see Him, and those who pierced Him will mourn, that one day soon they will bow to His majesty. One day soon they will confess Him Lord of all. One day soon they will see Him judging His enemies, and make them to be His footstool, and that day may be sooner than any of us think. And that is why I never miss the opportunity of saying to anyone in this room or anyone watching around the world, there are sixty to 80,000 people watching live right now, I want to tell you, come to Him now while the door of opportunity is open. Come to Him now and face Him as your Savior in the the end, not as your judge. Today is the day. Now is the hour. Will you pray with me? Father, you keep on speaking, you keep on speaking, you keep on warning, you can give, but as we saw in the last message, your patience will run out one day. We thank you for the hope that we have. And just as you we're true in what you prophesied about your kingdom 2,000 years ago. You're ruled in the heart of men and women in this world. We will soon see how true you are in the prophecy of your return. Prepare our hearts. Wake the believers. Just as Mike led us this morning, wake us up. Wake your church. Give us ears to hear, and eyes to see. We don't get bogged down with the secular media, but we will rise up above all of that and wait to see our Savior come on the cloud. Father, I pray. I pray for the believers. I pray for the lukewarm Christians, those who are neither hot nor cold. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, don't spit them out of your mouth. Convert them to you. Heat them up, for I pray. And for those who don't know you, and may have some warm feelings about you, I pray that today you convict them of their sin so that they may repent like we have and receive you as Savior and Lord. And I pray all of this in the mighty, precious name of my Lord and Savior, my King, Jesus. And all of God's people said "Amen." amen. Let's stand and sing together.